Hear the word of God from Psalm chapter eight, from Psalm chapter eighty, verses one through seven, and seventeen through nineteen. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on pages four seventy and four seventy one in the Pew Bible. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Messai. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among ourselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine, that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, and the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine, that we may be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gray. Well, in our Advent series, A New Day Dawning, that begins today, we will spend four weeks preparing for the coming of the baby Jesus. Of course, it took nine to ten times that much time for him to be born to his mother. His mother, Mary, waiting and waiting for him to arrive. She spent much of that time with her kinswoman, Elizabeth, who was likewise expecting her first child, though at a very advanced age, far beyond that at which normally women bear children. She had waited long and ever so long for this child who would be the John the Baptist, the one who would go before Jesus and prepare the way for him. Well, of course, I'm sure many of you are aware that the birth of a baby is near and dear to my heart and my husband's heart these days, as we've spent much of this year journeying with our daughter and her husband and daughter and her first child uh, through the waiting for the birth of their child, Addison Elizabeth, who was born on November 15th. And as anyone who's ever waited nine months for anything knows, nine months is an awfully long time to wait. Please bow your heads with me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Let me just get out of the way so that your message is what's received regardless of the words that I say. For we are each looking to find the next faithful step in our journey with you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, there is a completely different kind of waiting that recently captured the attention of more than 25 million people across this country. And no, I'm not talking about the election. My husband Greg and I used to live just mere blocks from the Chicago Cubs Park, 
in Chicago. And so we were close enough that on the days that we were home and there was a game, we could hear Harry Carey singing, take me out to the ball game at the seventh inning stretch. That is if the TV wasn't on. And along with all those who had waited so very long for them to win another World Series, every spring we started with hope that this would be the year. And every fall we would say, next year. It was a mantra that we knew well. Some said that they thought that it was a curse that they were under or then because it had been so many decades. But 108 years had gone by when they made it to the World Series this year. And they lost three of the first four games. They went on, though, to win the fifth game, then the sixth game, and on November 3rd at Progressive Field in Cleveland, Ohio, they won the seventh game, and it was a heart-stopping end to the World Series. The joy was palpable as they ended their 108-year wait. You could even see it in the pictures. Now, it may seem odd then that as our first series first sermon in the series that the first thing we say is wait well it does seem to be the nature of faith beginning all the way at the beginning no doubt god could have created all that he did day after day and one day but no he measured his creative activity and rested for a day we think of noah noah who waited so long in the building of the ark and then waited more than a year for the floodwaters to come and go away we think about joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers and waited two years in an egyptian prison before someone remembered that he could interpret dreams we think of the Israelites living in Egyptian slavery for decades and then waiting, waiting to be taken away. And then when they finally escaped, when God brought them out, they waited 40 years to actually go into the promised land. The 12 tribes waited for a king. They waited to return from Assyria and Babylon and waited for the promise of a Messiah of whom Isaiah and other prophets spoke. And yes, that Messiah came in the person of Jesus Christ. And still people waited like Mary and Martha did when their brother was dying. And they asked, Lord, where were you? In all those places and times of waiting, people just like us were asking questions just like us. Questions that we still ask today. When, oh God, will there be peace for everyone? When will our children all be able to grow up in safety? When will people be able to live in unity across racial and economic and cultural and ethnic divides? When will our country live into its promise of justice for all? When? 
Will the Messiah come? Yes, and we find ourselves waiting now for him to return with even more personal questions. So it is no accident that each year, as we look at the original waiting for the Messiah, as well as his expected return, we are in that odd now and not yet place that we inhabit it, habit that characterizes the Christian life. Now, our scripture is the major portion of Psalm 80. The psalm was presumably written as a prayer for the northern kingdom based on the tribes that are mentioned at the destruction of Samaria and their exile to Assyria. Those tribes would never return in mass to their homelands again. There are images in there of the unified Israel and therefore we think that it's reflective of that. There are also images of God in the temple enthroned above the heavenly winged creatures, a reference to the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, above which whose creatures uh, go above the mercy seat. This is a psalm of corporate lament. A unity it comes upon us when we are praying corporately, when we are waiting on the Lord corporately. But you do have to wonder, are we waiting on the Lord for him to do something for us? Or as we wait, are we waiting on the Lord as a servant waits on a sovereign? Psalm shares the particular structure of lament with the other psalms of lament. They are all addressed to God, and each one is a cry of our complaint or of a desire, and they are followed with anything from additional laments to a list of sufferings to a list of requests to God. Often, as in this psalm, there is a refrain or phrase that's repeated again and again. In this case, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. In the lament psalms, we often see complaints and anger and ways of speaking to God that we are taught are unthinkable, that are inappropriate. And yet, as scholar Sister Irene Nowell reminds us, these psalms are, first of all, the word of God. Authentic lament leads to genuine praise of God. Nothing changes in the time it takes to sing or pray that lament until its end that often closes in praise of God. But the lament changes us with the dawning realization that God is worthy of praise Regardless of our circumstances, lamenting reveals that we must have faith and trust. For why would we lament to God if we had no thought that he would act? Sometimes we act or ask for sweeping acts of power. But we begin to notice that the way God mostly works is in small ways, in little things, in whispers, 
as simple as in the simple birth of a baby to a teenage girl in a barn in Bethlehem. So why was the original wait for the Messiah and our current wait for Christ's return so important? Some would say we're learning perseverance. Others would say that it is making us diligent in our faith as we become more and more aware that we indeed are not God. And we ready ourselves for the one who is at one and the same time our savior and our judge. Still others will say to simply ignore it. It's just a metaphor. He's not coming back. It's a literary device to keep us interested. Mostly, though, it's because it isn't at all a passive waiting that we do, rather than an active one, somewhat like Mary and Elizabeth as they waited for their babies. As they waited, they prepared, made ready, made a place. We are preparing for his return as we wait. When the southern kingdom went into exile to Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah sent them this message from God in response to their how long and when will we go home. Jeremiah said, The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles, I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you do, don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. And could this not also be instruction to us? He's heard the questions of how long and said to us, settle down, live the life you have here. Be productive in your work. Take care of yourselves. Have families. Do what is good for your community. Don't dwindle away. Your future depends on where I put you. He gave them and gives us seemingly small ways to wait that can seem inconsequential. For we yearn for a different life, the one where everything is perfect and where there is no conflict and people don't get sick and die. And God is always present in the way we need him to be in grand and powerful ways. Basically, we want what we perceive to be heaven right now on earth. Funny thing is, yearning for it alone will not bring it. But living the life, the holy life, the godly life, well, it will change us just as it changed the communities who prayed the lament psalms. 
whatever questions we want answers to and requests that we're waiting to be fulfilled, like the psalmist, we're mostly asking for God to work in those small ways he favors so that we know that while we wait, he's still there. So why do we wait this first Sunday in the new day dawning? Well, I receive a regular blog from a place, uh, a website called seedbed.org. And um, it's from a gentleman this week from J.D. Walt. He's an Asbury Seminary professor. And he sent the perfect thing for me as I pondered waiting. It goes like this. It goes by many names. Some call it the spinning wheel of death. Others refer to it as the beach ball of doom. It is more benignly called the spinning pinwheel or the spinning weight cursor. You know what I'm talking about. At least you Mac people do, he said. It's that blasted little rainbow-colored ball that lets you know that your computer is hopelessly constipated. <laughs> like that, huh? He goes on to say the little marble of doom can mean a lot of things, but they all mean the same thing. It means there's too much going on in the computer. You have too many applications open. You have too little memory and your hard drive is stuffed too full or any and all of the above. He said, it happens to me all the time these days. It's usually a sign that I haven't powered down my computer in weeks or months. I just keep going and going and going. The other day, I decided to count up all the stuff I had running. I had 11 applications running across four desktops. And within the Microsoft Word app alone, I had 29 documents open. Guilty. That little frisbee from hell, as he calls it, was about to explode. Thank God for the force quit feature. I managed to close enough applications to shut down the, for the shutdown command to finally work. I let it cool for a few minutes and restarted and everything was good. He says, if I'm honest, I must admit my life gets into the same condition all too often. You get the analogy. If only there were a force quit function and a restart command. But friends, there's good news. There is a reset option. It's called Advent. The best part is it starts today where we wait. Now, at the beginning of my sermon, I talked about the Chicago Cubs and the amazing joy at the end of their wait to win the World Series. And about the personal joy and the end of the wait for our granddaughter. About Mary and Elizabeth and the wait that they had and the joy at their births. Friends, if that's the kind of joy that we have over earthly things, can you imagine the joy that will be ours when Christ returns? I want that joy. I want to spend eternity in his presence. I want to be there to be a part of it. Then I've got to wonder, don't you want that joy? 
Well, then, in the active way of waiting that pregnant mothers know, that World Series champions know, that every one of us knows as we remember times we've waited. Let's prepare. Let's expect that unspeakable joy to be ours. I want you to imagine what life could be like if we really waited expectantly, if we really prepared while we waited. What if, contrary to all our 21st century lives, tell us the richness of our lives lies in stillness, waiting and preparing for the coming of Christ, both every year at Advent, but most especially for his return? What would it be like to force quit and reboot our lives in the fervent expectation of Christ coming? What if we learned to wait? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about disengaging from our modern lives. You don't need to become a hermit, rid yourself of all technology, or decide never to go shopping again or go live off the land Instead, as we journey to Bethlehem and the birth of Christ, recapture what his coming the first time meant. He came into the lives of those he, that he came to be with and gave them, and by virtue of that, gave us a vision of hope, a vision of wholeness, of relationship with God through him, of life. Life forever. I'd like you to take a few moments in silence right now. Close your eyes or don't. Up to you. To think about what that might mean in this community and in your life to experience that wholeness from Christ. What might it feel like? How would it look in your life? Now take that sense of all things made right and think about it for all eternity being like that. That's what we're waiting for, friends. It isn't an exercise in discipline. It is an act of preparing our community and ourselves to live eternally with God in Christ. Right now, today, what might reset your life and focus you on him in the midst of the waiting? One last question. What could that do in and for you if you actually did it? Will you bow your heads with me? Oh, holy God. We are so grateful for Jesus Christ. For his original coming as a babe in Bethlehem and for his anticipated return. You have given us blessing beyond measure. And we pray, Lord, that you teach us how to wait. Perhaps this year we can reset. Instead of running ahead to Christmas, we can rest right here in Advent. 
learning to maybe be more attentive to worship, to pray more fervently, to seek you more intentionally, and maybe even to be more generous. Lord God, help us wait well. Help us.